Hi, this is Michelle Astley with Balance Shared, a space where I truly believe we are better together. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. In this interview, I was able to chat with Lacey Beatty via phone, via Zoom on uh, February 19th. I was recovering from the respiratory effects of influenza, I believe, and you will hear me coughing from time to time. You will also hear Lacey's daughter humming happily away as she plays while her mother engages in the interview because the babysitter wasn't able to show up as was planned. So you're going to hear healthcare and motherhood while we talk about politics, even if we don't address those issues directly. I really hope that you enjoy. Welcome. I'm so excited to bring back Lacey Beatty, who's running for Beaverton Mayor. And today, real life is just kind of hitting us, and I love that. I have this respiratory thing, so we'll try to cut out any coughing that I might have. But in this real life, Lacey has a little one, and her babysitter backed out. So we're going to have a family-friendly episode today and talk about all things family and livability and what works and, and why politics and family and all that are so important. Lacey, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. And like I mentioned, my toddler is running around our kitchen island with a folding chair. So this is like the perfect episode of 10,000 Ways a Toddler Might Die. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I uh, saw you posted something on social media the other day. You were at a Metro Council meeting and your little one had to come and she was just hanging out and you were there paying attention, you know, doing the thing that so many moms or caregivers do, right? paying attention to the meeting and paying attention to the kiddo. How did that meeting go? Well, you know, what was a little bit frustrating about that meeting is they actually advertised childcare. So I am married to an active duty military officer. That's job is intense. And so this month alone, by about the midway point, I've already spent more on childcare than my budget allows for the month. So I have mm. to really look at every single meeting as is this kid friendly? Can I bring my kid? Is there childcare? So when I was told that there was childcare in Broader, um, I was disappointed to get there because parents were leaving the building because of the same thing. My child is a professional meeting attender. Um, and so she sat there with me. It made it a little bit challenging to focus on both yeah. things at the same time. But in true fashion, other moms at the table paid attention to her too. And so the burden was a little bit shared. But it's always a constant reminder to me of how important childcare is. Oh, childcare. That's another topic that we didn't, that maybe we can get into. Um, so I reached out to a couple of my friends and in doing so, it made me realize how little I know about how Beaverton city politics works, like where the governance begins and ends with say like the school board. Can you kind of give us a rundown of, what the mayor's in charge of, what the council's in charge of, and how all that works? Sure. I, I, in the future years, I want to run a city 101 governance class because this is actually really common that people don't always understand the form of government and how it works. And it doesn't matter how much we teach in civics, we generally are talking about federal politics and don't get right. down to the local level. So we are not a full-service city. So we have special districts that operate within our city too. 
So we have a special district parks. So they have their own elected board. We vote them in. They manage like a $68 million budget by themselves of parks and natural resources. We have a special district fire. So we have a coordinated regional fire department. Um, every city in Washington County besides Hillsborough participates in it because being able to deploy fire resources across jurisdictions is really important. Mm -hmm. We have a school board that is elected by themselves that manage everything with the school. We have half a special district water. So half of Beaverton residents receive water from Beaverton. The other half receive it from Tavallotin Valley Water District. Then of course, on top of that, we have the metro government, we have the county government and the state government. And so when I'm out knocking doors, people often wanna to talk to me about maybe an area that I don't represent. So I spend some time talking to people about that at the door. Then I give out the email address of whoever represents their issue and right. ask them to contact them so I can kind of pivot back to what the mayor and the city councilor does. So the mayor in Beaverton is a full is a full-time mayor in charge of basically everything. They're the city manager. So we oversee the police department, public works, economic development, um, the finance department, and the city council sets the policy and manage the budget. So the mayor's in charge of basically everyone in the city and the council's in charge of how many, how much we spend in the budget and what kind of policies, like, you know, we policies could include like making it illegal to sleep in your car. The council sets policies like that. Mm -hmm. And so figuring out how everything interchanges and works is often complicated when one other the other government entities maybe does something that starts ruffling feathers. Right, right. And who do you go to, right? So like we think a city and it just seems obvious that, that the mayor is the one in charge of everything, but that isn't the case. Right. And so I'm actually the only city councilor with my email address public on the city website. So I think it's really important that you be able to reach out directly to people that represent you. So I actually see myself sometimes as a systems navigator. Uh, you've reached out to me a lot of times it's my mom about some issue in the park and I redirect her to maybe Felicia de Monteblanco, the chair of the uh, park district. Thank you for doing that. Uh, another politician years and years ago, one of his primary things was talking about, we have to trust that government can work. We have to know that government can work, that there's a live human who's gonna answer the phone when we call with our issue and help us navigate the system to be able to then reinforce just the whole thing. It's a really important process that, that needs to happen that usually doesn't. So it sounds like you're doing your part in trying to show how government can work. Well, we forget that like government actually is like, uh, you know, customer service, right? right? Like, our job is customer service based. And if our customers are upset, then our service isn't very good. And I think sometimes when you're driving down the road and you see maybe development happening or your favorite restaurant going out of business, you want to know what's going on and you want to have a friend on the inside. Well, I'm Beaverton's friend on the inside. People shoot me emails all the time about what's being built on the corner. What happened to my favorite coffee shop? You know, and I carve out time a few times in my week to go through constituent emails like that and answer them because I have the same interest when I see something being built. I want to know what's coming. Mm -hmm. People like to feel like they have the inside scoop. Who's in charge of development in Beaverton? The city is in charge of development um, in the city. So the mayor and the council. So, 
So, yeah, the council ultimately approves things. The mayor's office is often driving the start, and sometimes it's reversed. Sometimes it's the council that has an idea that has the mayor's office go after it. Sometimes we're getting told by the mayor's office, like, this is something the staff want to work on. Uh And it is a delicate balance that always doesn't work in the best capacity. Sometimes we find out the city council late about something being built that we didn't have any idea about, and we're being asked to approve it with very little information. And so it is a constant battle of how much information is enough information to make a decision about maybe an $85 million project going up or even who we're leasing our land to that we own and who gets free space in Beaverton. Those things are complicated and require all of us working together. Absolutely. And now we'll take a quick break. Welcome back. We resume our conversation with development leading into how the city runs and so much more. So here in Portland, and you can read stories about this in other places, you know, we see development happening and it's not always clear like who's in charge of it. And the first thing we notice is like, you know, kind of like you were saying previously, you know, our our coffee, sh- our favorite coffee shop is gone or all of a sudden parking is really crazy. Uh, and, and we want to know what's happened. So development is such an interesting thing for cities. So like, can you kind of walk us through, well, first, first, um, can you share your experience with how development works or doesn't work well in Beaverton? Sure. So when I was running for office, six years ago, I would go to city council meetings and hear the council talking about like the utopian future of the millennial living in high rise buildings uh, and not needing car for public transport. And so we could build more density because everyone's going to be walking and, and riding the bus and everything like that. The reality is not every millennial is like that. Like, we're, right. We're not like this monolithic group of people that own, you know, three pairs of pants and live in a tiny building. The reality is, people come to the Northwest in particular for their athletic adventure, right? Like we have a three car garage full of kayaks and motorcycles and mountain bikes and snowshoes and skis. I can't live in a one bedroom apartment with my kid and my husband and all of our outdoor gear. But what people often don't realize is that how like student loan debt is like crippling millennials. And so they often live in smaller places because that's what they can afford. And we also are a bedroom community in Beaverton. We don't have the best public transport. Our max line runs east and west, but the population center is north and south. And so we've, we're creating a police oversight team because it doesn't hurt. You know, if everyone's doing everything correctly, then um, it'll be a really boring communi- or committee to sit on. That right. would be the, the ideal situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't hurt to have it. And I think it would really actually um, help keep everyone accountable. So I would like to to bring that back to the table and, and hopefully that discussion will go further this time. Let's talk about that more after we take a break in a, in a, in a few moments. But I, um, I just feel like this point can't be hammered in enough that when we have diverse voices, and so what I mean by diverse, I mean different ethnic backgrounds, different genders, different marital statuses, different education, different occupational roles that 
because uh, we're all a part of a community, right? It's not just these three people who are part of the community. And we chose as a collective over 200 years ago to do away with the monarchy, right? You know, you don't get inherited into a role. And so we have this sort of embedded values of meritocracy and collaboration and and that you know we've got these smarts within us and so being really intentional about choosing that and and i mean how different could our policies look if you had maybe let's say your community was made up of 40% blue collar workers and you decided to have 40% of those folks on your council like what would oh i look like that would be amazing (laughs) (laughs) i i would welcome that any day of the week um one thing i'd really like to encourage too is um you you mentioned our affluent community well traditionally it shuts out people who do work for the city and the school district Um, my kids teachers have to come in from from outside of town and that's a a long time they're spending in traffic and with their fuel dollars and um, same with city employees. So many of them just don't, they're not able to live in Lake Oswego because of, of the housing price. And I think there should be some sort of civil GI bill where, um, and I'm borrowing that idea from Jamie McLeod Skinner when she was running mm. um, in her campaign and also in 2018. I just think that idea makes so much sense. And I think there's a way to do that with affordable housing. I mm-hmm. think if instead of the city taking $40,000 per um, for a development charge, they're, they're charging for developers to come and bulldoze a home and build a McMansion on it, I would rather the city <laughs> buy that property and then be able to subsidize it for our community leaders. Because mm-hmm. like you're saying, you know, if, if they're part of the community, then they can really, I, I think they're already investing in it. Why not? keep those voices here, keep them, you know, in further leadership roles, not just in their classroom or working for a maintenance department or whatever they might be doing with the city. Just that when people have buy-in for a thing and they they know that their choice and that they've been heard and listened to, the, the decisions that are made tend to be, in my observation, right, they tend to be much more longstanding and stable. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and then thinking of having their families invested in the community too, mm-hmm. you know, not just that they're sharing their parent with us in the community, mm-hmm. but that they can also attend our schools and that they can, I think that would be a great hiring incentive. And um, mm. two, also with the diversity lens, I think that would be a great incentive to um, bring more, more people of color, more people of um, economic, uh, different backgrounds there. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a great opportunity. And I think it's one we should absolutely look into further. Well, let's take a quick break. And then when we get back, let's dive into more ideas. Welcome back. So I want to get into some ideas that you have. So let's forecast, you know, we like to talk, we like to ask our presidents, what are they going to do in the first 100 days? So what would be some initiatives or things or themes or things that you would want to work on? What are the issues you want to address that are first and foremost in your mind? 
Thank you. Um, so yeah, as I said earlier, having that police oversight committee, I think that's a committee, a border commission worth having. I also think the DEI task force, uh, which is just a six month charge, um, I think it would be nice if that became a standing committee as well. It's like, if we can have standing committees for um, design and for parks and recreation and natural resources, I, I think this is definitely one that whose time has come. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I um, have friends who are police officers or have worked in that kind of line of work. And there's definitely, an, I don't ever want to lessen the good work that people are doing. And just knowing that we all make mistakes and can benefit from making sure that we are on the right ethical and moral track when we are trying to keep the peace in our place. So I appreciate that. Uh, so besides a co police oversight, what else does Lake Oswego need? Yeah, and then the Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Standing Committee for mm -hmm. having that as a border commission. Um, because I think having them being able to create recommendations, which mm -hmm. is our charge right now for the current council to consider, just makes it seem very optional. And so if we have a board and commission that takes its task seriously, I think they'll be more treated seriously mm -hmm. and the whole community can, can look to them as equally or just, it will, it will be given more consideration than it currently is. Right. Almost like instead of just this sort of pretty nod that we're doing towards something that's kind of, you know, can in some ways be like a buzzword, but doing the actual work to get a diverse, inclusive community. Yes, absolutely. And then again, integrating more of the school community into the things that the city deals with, because there's such overlap since we already have such a big school population embedded within the community. I think um, we just have such great resources there to draw from. And I think we could only make our community more strong. Yeah. Okay. What do you love about Lake Oswego? Oh my goodness. Such a good question. Um, so I moved to the Portland area in 1999, initially for college. This was my mom's hometown. And so it was very familiar to me. I'd spent a lot of time and um, I became familiar with Lake Oswego because I took a job working as a recruiter and uh, that was in 2007. And then I moved to uh, further west a little bit uh, to Beaverton and some things. And then when I had children and they were becoming more school-aged, I knew that I wanted to bring them back to Lake Oswego. And so I'm one of the people who moved <laughs> back to Lake Oswego for the public schools. And my kids are thriving there. They have excellent people, staff, um, teachers, all of the classified people. They're, it's just amazing. I, we've been so supported there. And one thing that does um, help, of course, is the foundation. Um, that does give additional dollars to the school to be mm. able to provide more employment for additional staff. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, it's a volunteer basis, of course, but um, people in the community donate funds and then those are dispersed between the schools to hire more people. So yes, having additional folks in a school building is going to help morale. It's going to help students learning and engagement. And I think we're doing enough things right that we do have a lot of staff that, that are encouraged to work here and it is a highly sought after position. 
but I want to increase the incentives because, um, like I said earlier, if, if we were able to have them living in our community as well, I just think that's a win-win for everyone. Mm-hmm. Just more buy-in, more vetted, more, you know, Absolutely. reasons to love. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, name one more thing that you love about Lake Oswego, please. My neighbors are amazing. Um, awesome. I've lived in a few different places within Mountain Park neighborhood where 20% mm-hmm. of our population resides. So top topography wise, we actually have a lot of diversity as well. Um, I think I might've mentioned that to traditionally, a lot of the folks on council um, seem to be older. A lot of them also tend to be well represented from our lake area, mm-hmm. which our name is derived from. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't have many people, or I, I don't know of one who's ever come from the Mountain Park neighborhood. So I think it's it would be great to have that voice <laughs> be represented. Um, so I'm, I'm stepping up, but yes, I, I think, you know, we could have more than one, of course. <laughs> Besides 20% of the population residing in Mountain Park, I'm not familiar with this neighborhood in Lake Oswego. What's unique about it? Um, well, it was a planned community mm. um, and it was a long time ago. So we're talking the area between PCC Sylvania mm-hmm. to Cruise Way, almost basically. Okay. Um, above the Westlake neighborhood. So it's where it's an actual hill that goes uh-huh. up there. Um, and then Boone's Ferry and Country Club Road are sort of the boundary on the other side. Uh-huh. Does that give you a picture? So um, yeah. yeah, it's it's just a lot of greenery. Uh, mm. a, it's, it's known as nature's neighborhood. So it's just like visually it's beautiful. It's very clean. There's a lot of, um, I mean, the oxygen is amazing because mm-hmm. we have all the trees mm-hmm. and um, yeah. It, it was just very intentional. But what's nice is we have a lot of diversity of housing. So I live in a condo complex, mm-hmm. but then there's also like huge houses on other lots too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just very nice how well it was diversified with the housing stock. To get room for lots and lots of different people. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so when I initially, mm-hmm. yeah, when I first moved to the, to the city again, when my kids were getting older, Um, I was married to their dad and we lived in a single family home. Mm -hmm. And then that one was actually, um, that was in the Portland school district, even though it was a Lake Oswego dress. So the the school district boundary is the same as the county line, which is Mm -hmm. sort of interesting. Um, But I knew when I got my own place that I wanted to be in the Lake Oswego schools. And um, so I just moved to the other side of that boundary so that that was possible. And then again, I had to find a place I could afford (laughs) because I, I wasn't having that additional income. Right, right. So Lake Oswego sits in both counties in um, Multnomah and? We have three counties. We are also in Washington as well. Oh, wow. So Clackamas, Washington, and Multnomah County. Isn't that interesting? That is. I'm just imagining the water bills and like you already mentioned, the public schools. <laughs> and Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow. Okay. So we're in a fascinating time for many reasons. Uh, and voting has always been super important to me. And right now, and so when I moved to Oregon and everybody voted by mail, it was like the most magical thing in the world to me. Uh, one of the first temporary jobs I had was at the Multnomah County Elections Division, and I got to soak in all the information of how the ballots are run. Birds just kind of hanging out there and doing their thing and you can hear the dogs in the background you can hear all sorts of rustling 
and just in those moments, you just, you can be so thankful Mm -hmm. and so grateful that all of this life surrounds you and it surrounds us in the city too. Mm -hmm. We just don't hear it as well Mm -hmm. because there's Mm -hmm. lots of other sounds getting in the way, the cars, the trains, the, you know, airplanes, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, all of those noises that it disconnects us from that time of like really sitting there and being present for even just a moment. Yes. Okay. Can you please give me a top five list of things to do on your, on, so you general, right? Like, so if we're going to give a prescription to somebody else Mm -hmm. on their path of self-discovery, what should they do? Top five things. I think first would be take an inventory. Mm-hmm. So take an inventory of what you have, what you need, and what you want. Mm-hmm. So I think taking an inventory of, of where you're at and being able to be really honest with yourself about what that is. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I Second thing I would say is find some Sabbath time. Mm. So find that day of rest. And if you can share that day of rest with your family, if you're surrounded by family members or just communicate it to friends that, you know, this is my Sabbath day. I turn off my phone on Sabbath day. You know, there's, there's no technology coming at me. There's no, you know, it's my day to just rejuvenate. So it's reading, it's writing, it's going for walks, it's going for a bike ride. It's, Interacting with people I haven't seen in a really long time, or maybe I just saw them yesterday, but really making a connection, but taking that time for yourself and to create relationship. Um, so that's one of the things I think getting out in nature is essential. There's the whole new concept of forest bathing, mm. um, which is that we as humans need to spend time in a natural environment. And to just be in that green and have all that oxygen around us. Um, So there's a whole movement now called forest bathing. Hmm. Uh, So taking that time in nature. So finding your community, finding those people who have similar goals as you do, um, who are interested in uh, conversation Mm. with you about what, what's, be, what's kind of emerging for you, what's bubbling up, and also what's bubbling up for them. Um, and this requires communication. So again, going back to Sabbath, it's taking that time to create those relationships. Option as well. Oh, great. For an upgrade. Yeah, so you just got to upgrade your account a little bit, and then you can add your Pinterest account too. Nice. So uh, you really honed your skill set in the virtual assistant morphed it into more of the marketing role so it's easier to describe. And now in our conversations, you found yourself in an evolution. So what's next as your business evolves? Well, in 2020, a lot of things change. Um, In September of 2020, my daughter will be in kindergarten. So that means all of my children will be (laughs) full-time school. So it gives me a little bit more time to work. 
So my goal is to move into more of a boutique style marketing agency, um, bringing on team members to delegate work to, to support clients in more of a broader sense. Um, so then I'm not doing everything on my own because everything takes a lot of time in the online space. So delegating tasks to people that I know can do a great job and support clients in that way. That's awesome. So then I kind of feel like you really love SEO and you're really gifted at strategy. And so this yes. can be like your wheelhouse and then for maybe graphic design, you turn to somebody else and yes. then, you know, the content writing, et cetera. Is Correct. that kind of how you're yes. yeah, awesome? Yeah. And, and I, you know, I'm saying that now I could be wrong because I do like the agency setting. I worked in the agency setting before I worked in the corporate setting before I like working with people. Um, I, not only my clients, but I like working team. Uh, mm-hmm. So if that means creating my own team and my own, I, I'm all for that, which I'm, I have the wheels in place for that right now. But also I am open to maybe the agency setting looking a little bit different of me joining up with somebody else. Um, we'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm just trying to keep my, my mind open and my heart open to what comes next. So as you look to expand your business and change it in the next year, year and a half, two years, honoring all the lovely, beautiful clients you currently have, can you describe your next evolution of client and and as you add them to your your roster of clients what they look like yeah I think my goal for all my clients is to get on this wheel of creating great content optimizing SEO and driving traffic from social media to their website and you know if that means bringing on more clients that kind of have that and and maybe it's me creating this wheel of content creation and evolvement and then helping guide my current clients to do the same like I think that that is really, it really excites me. And I feel like that's what I want to do. I love that. I love how you've been able to really take control of your life, right? So you and your husband and your beautiful family, you're taking a look at, okay, this is where we're at. And these are some of the choices we've made to get us here. Measuring whether or not that's working with how life constantly evolves, right? We don't always know when we birth our children, how they're going to turn out. And we have to like roll with what their personalities and whatever throw, throw at us. And then taking a look at where you currently are and those personalities and then saying, 
you know, I think in the next iteration, we want it to, to be a little bit different. And it really, I really get the sense that you and your husband and your family, and whether or not you state this at the dinner table every night, I don't know, but it really seems like you're really centered in your values and that those sort of emanate. Um, can you speak to that for a second? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we over the years have come together and we have this goal and sometimes it looks different for my husband and sometimes different. I'm like really strong in the big vision. I like to dream big. (laughs) Um, but we have over the years come together and see like, oh, okay, we have this goal. So say financially, a long time ago, we went through Financial Peace University and that's um, Dave Ramsey's course. So keeping on that page, same page for finances. Um I I think trying to work together as a team and understanding clear communication again, understanding our goals for our family um, and Brian supporting me and, you know, me wanting to contribute in some way and that changing because it wasn't easy with the, the office work and then him supporting me in the online space to change and support our family and our long-term goals. We um, have the, um, we're, we're grateful that my husband will be retiring early and it is our goal. And sometimes we even talk about a career change for him. Um, so me working in the online space kind of supports our future endeavors. So either that means, you know, him working the next 10 years and then stopping and then relying on a different type of income um, Maybe, and maybe that's my online business Um, or him deciding that what he's doing is not for him and stopping and then changing our online work space. Um, So we just try and stay open to that. And I think that my business supports our family in future. That's awesome. This has been so much fun chatting with you today. We need to let people know, where can they find you? You can find me at pacificnorthwestvirtual.com. That's P-N-W-Virtual.com. And of course, on LinkedIn. And that's Cheryl DeClerc on LinkedIn. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much for chatting with me today, Cheryl. I have so enjoyed our conversation. And I can't wait to launch this as my first interview. So thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Welcome. I hope you enjoyed hearing about Cheryl and her work. Please visit her on her website and LinkedIn. I would love to see you in person. Please see me tomorrow 
at Sisters Gourmet Deli in North Portland, where we'll be talking about joy and inevitably work-life balance always comes into play. I hope to see you there. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. This is Michelle Astley with Balance Shared, a space where I truly believe we are better together.